I am going to ask you to pray with me just one more time. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, confess to you this morning, O Lord, that I am an imperfect person. I am an imperfect vessel made out of clay. Lord, your word is perfect. Your word accomplishes everything that you ordain it and send it out to do. And this day, Father, we pray that you would speak, Holy Spirit, speak afresh. That we might be found doing the word of the Lord. We pray this in the matchless name of King Jesus. Amen. Jesus... Jesus gives his church, us, our local body here, as well as the churches all over the world throughout the ages of time, Jesus gives us his marching orders. And what are our marching orders? They come from Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, and they, it, it, it's also listed there in your bulletin. I think it's on page three or four there. But listen, Church of the Atonement, to the king's command. In Matthew chapter 28, verses 18 through 20, Jesus has arisen from the dead and he is speaking to his apostles. This is before he is about to ascend into heaven where he is right now. And this is what he says to them. And hence what he says to us. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age." Well, over these four weeks, we are looking at discipleship. We're looking at discipleship, and we're looking at discipleship as it is worked out in four E's. Evangelize, establish, equip, and export. Two Sundays ago, I brought to you evangelize. Jesus wants his church to evangelize. Last Sunday, we dealt with establish. And I spent a lot of time in the very beginning so that you could understand why it is absolutely necessary that new believers be established in their identity in the Lord Jesus. I also talked about establishing them in the way of maturity or the the path of maturity. And today we will look at equipping. Equipping. And again, I want to give you a definition for discipleship. It is also listed there in your bulletin. I hope you're looking along with me there. It says, discipling others is the process by which a Christian with a life worth emulating commits himself or herself for an extended period of time to a few individuals who have been won to Christ. The purpose being to aid and guide their growth to maturity and equip them to reproduce themselves in a third spiritual generation. Discipleship 
is absolutely important for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, you all. God calls his church out of the world to himself. How? Through evangelism. After new believers come to faith in Jesus Christ, they must be established in the faith in Jesus Christ. And after believers are established, they are to be equipped for complete preparedness in Christ. Look with me, if you will, at Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus. I would like for you to look at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 to 14, and I think that's printed in your bulletin as well. Paul is giving instructions. And this is what he says. And he gave, meaning Jesus. And Jesus gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Well, I'm going to talk to you today about a toolbox. I'm going to talk to you today about a toolbox. And what I want you to see about this toolbox is there are five points that I want you to to, to have today about this toolbox. And the first one is this, very simply. King Jesus has provided a toolbox for his disciples. Number one, King Jesus has provided a toolbox for his disciples. Paul teaches here that Jesus gave gifts. He gave gifts to his church. Why? So that it would continue. So that the church will continue throughout the ages of time. So that it'll grow so that it will multiply, so that people will be called out of spiritual death, out of spiritual darkness, out of rebellion to God, into a right relationship, into a right standing before the holy God of the universe. In 2008... I was working at a children's home up in the mountains of North Carolina, and there were nine of us. We flew to New York City. We flew up there to learn a particular model of organizational change. It was very important for us if we were going to continue to receive uh, a certain type of funding. So we flew up there, and I remember vividly one of the things that they gave us. They gave us a mental toolbox. They gave us a mental toolbox. And in this, met, uh, in this mental toolbox, there were a number of methods for handling difficult situations of which, where I worked, we often had lots of those. It was to learn how to work together as a team, 
to learn how to communicate honestly, openly, to have better dialogue as an organization. If we wanted our organization to be successful at adopting this particular model, we had to use the toolbox, okay? We had to use the toolbox. Disciples of Jesus need the tools that Jesus Christ has given so that his command that I read at the very first, we call that the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, in order for that to happen, in order for that to occur, we as the body of Christ must embrace and do and use the tools Christ has given in his toolbox. This leads to the second point I want you to hear this morning out of the word here. Number two, the first tool. Don't get confused there. This is the second point. The fir- number two, the first tool in the toolbox is the word of God. You all, I, hope, I certainly hope you never get tired of us talking about the word of God. Number two, the first tool in the toolbox is the Word of God. Jesus gave word gifts to the church. He gave word gifts. Now look look back there at Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. He gave who? Apostles, prophets, evangelists, the pastors and teachers. He He gave word gifts to his people because through the word, people are saved. People are brought out of darkness through the Word. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, the physician Luke writes, and they, meaning the new believers at this time in the early church, and they, after they had been called to Christ, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. If you had a pen and you had your Bibles open, I would say underline that. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Jesus, the God-man, he appointed his authority to his apostles. Hence, the Bible we have, you all, the Bible we have is God's word, as God gave it to his commissioned people to speak on his behalf to his people. The prophets of the Old Testament spoke God's word to the people. The true prophets spoke only what God told them to say. Evangelists, evangelists, what they do is defined in the very name of evangelists. What do they do? They preach the good news of the kingdom. They preach the good news of the kingdom of God to sinners, people like you and me who miss the mark of God's standard, or we go beyond it in breaking it. Evangelists preach the good news of the kingdom of God to sinners so they can be rescued from the wrath of God through faith in Jesus Christ as their sacrificial substitute. Therefore, we know that the gospel is in the toolbox. The third thing I want you to see here, the third point, the second tool in the toolbox It's pastor-teachers or pastors and teachers. 
The second tool in the toolbox, this is number three, is pastor teachers or pastors and teachers. The disciples of Jesus Christ, they've got to be equipped. They've got to be prepared. You've got to be prepared. You've got to be made ready to be able to obey the word of our King. Before the work of ministry can occur by disciples, before disciples can build up the body of Christ, training has to occur first. Preparation must be made first. Pastor Kurt and I, we are pastor teachers. We are word gifts to the Church of Atonement. Not because there's anything special about him or me. God could use anybody. But he appointed that we come here and we be word gifts to you, Christ's church. And the duty that Kurt and I have is very, very clear. Spelled out right here in verse 12. Equip the saints for the work of ministry. Equip the saints for building up the body of Christ. And we do this by what I'm doing right now, preaching, teaching the Scriptures of the Holy Bible. This leads to the fourth point I want you to see. Number four, the third tool in the toolbox is disciples. You probably thought, when's he going to get to us? The fourth tool, excuse me, the, the fourth point, the third tool in the toolbox is disciples. Jesus has given word gifts to preach and teach the word of God to make disciples. That's what Matthew 28, 18 to 20 says. Teach them, baptize them, teach them everything I have commanded you. Jesus intends for disciples to be made through God's word, through preaching and teaching of the Bible. The church is made up of who? Disciples. That's very easy. Church is made up of disciples, learners of Jesus, followers of Jesus, not pew warmers, but followers of Jesus, people who are watching the Savior through his word, people who want to obey the Savior, obey our King through his word. Jesus intends for his disciples to be the means for the continuing of the church through disciple-making. This leads to number five, the fifth point I want you to see this morning. Number five, the fourth tool in the toolbox is Christ's expectations. Christ's expectations for his disciples, and there are seven. There are seven that I'm going to point out. The first is this. Jesus expects his disciples to mature in the faith. You see this in verse 13. Until we all attain or reach or come to or arrive at the unity, the oneness of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. 
as I was preparing this message this week, one of the things I do, I don't do it all the time, but sometimes I do it, and I did it this week because I wanted to see this verse. Uh, I want to put it in my own words. So I did my own translation. I think I still have that in here. And I want to read it to you. I do want to read it to you. And Jesus gave the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and teachers for the preparation of, to prepare the saints for the work of service, for the work of ministry, for the upbuilding, for the strengthening of the body of Christ until we all arrive, reach, attain, come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to complete manhood, to the standard or to the measure of the completeness or the fullness of Christ so that we may not be infants, children, being tossed by the sea, being carried about by every wind of teaching, by the trickery of men, by the trickery, cunning, craftiness, for the purpose of deceptive methods or deceptive procedures. We are to mature in the faith, you all. This leads to the second expectation. Jesus expects his disciples to grow in their knowledge of Jesus. When I became a Christian, my grandmother, my paternal grandmama, my dad's mom, called her Mama Lucy. You've heard me talk about her before. I'm going to tell you another story. But Mama Lucy said to me, when I became a Christian, we're over, we're over, I was over at their house. Daddy Howard, that's what I called my grandpa, Daddy Howard, Mama Lucy. When I was over there and I've been baptized, I've become a member of the local body of Christ. And Mama Lucy said, son, she always called me that, son, get up in the mornings, take your Bible, get your pen, get your notebook, and read. As you read, she said, think about what you're reading, and then write your thoughts out in that notebook for that day. She said, I mean, go back and she said, visit that again throughout at the end of the week. Go visit back after you've written throughout the week. That was my first, very simple introduction to Bible study. What did she do? She equipped me for Bible intake. She equipped me for Bible intake. You know, I said last week, one of the reasons the church in America, and I would say in some other part, but I would say the Western world, One of the main reasons we are weak is we are not in the Bible. We don't know who God is. We have no power for ministry because we don't know who God is. And that is a tragedy. May we repent of it and move towards maturity by growing in our knowledge of the Lord Jesus Well, the apostle Peter, he agrees absolutely with Paul. He says in 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18, I think that's in your bulletin as well. In 2 Peter 3, verse 18, Peter emphasizes two things, two things. He says, grow in the grace of Jesus Christ. Grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. 
grace, you all. When I think about grace, when I try to define it, I think about grace as the goodness of God given to me who at one time hated God. And yet God has poured out goodness for you and for me. We live in what I like to think of as, as Christians, the ocean of God's grace. It'll never run out. Hallelujah. It will never run out. And he wants us in that ocean of grace to make time to get to know God. Bible study. Leads to the third expectation. Jesus expects his disciples to be anchored in the truth. And you see that in verse 14. So that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. The Lord Jesus does not want you, his disciples, to be deceived, ever. King Jesus does not desire that we, his disciples, be led away by the trickery, by the lies of men and women. I had a philosophy professor in the university, and he was a, he was a very important one there. And he made a statement, a rather odd statement once in class that seemed true when he said it, but something just didn't settle right with me. And I thought, I kept repeating it over and over and over and over in my mind until I figured it out. Oh, my goodness. He just said something to us that almost seemed true. And how he said it, he said it as if it were true. But it was, in fact, a lie. A horrible, treacherous, wicked lie. And I spoke to him about it after class. I want you to hear this. There are people in this world, you know this, but I want you to know it more. (laughs) There are people in this world who teach things that are absolutely not true. And there are other people in the world who believe those lies. The secular culture, and secular in this country as well as in Europe and Great Britain, it basically means get God out. The secular culture teaches that God is not real or that God is not important. Everything around you in this DMV culture, D.C., Maryland, Northern Virginia area, everything is is wired to keep you busy, to keep you distracted, to keep you thinking that God is not important, that everything else is. Live for now, live for the moment. You don't need God. Another lie is this. Church is not necessary. Church is not important. (laughs) Sad. Because Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Amen. Amen. You are the light of the world. You are a city shining on the hillside. You're not to be covered up. You'd be living out the reality of Christ in you. Amen. Jesus wants his disciples anchored in the truth. I'll tell you one more story. When I went to college, 
My mother said to me, I thought, what in the world are you talking about? But she said, son, when you go off to school, if you hear someone say, Jesus is over there, or he's over there, or look, he's over there, do not believe them. That was good, that was good wisdom, y'all. She taught me to stick with the word. Don't be led astray. There's some people in our church. Not here today, right? There's some people in other churches who have been led away. There are children who have been led away. There are adults who have been led away. Jesus wants you anchored, anchored in his truth. Number four, Jesus expects his disciples to study the Bible. Well, now, Terrence, you've said that five times now. Amen and amen. I want you to hear it in different ways. Soldiers going into combat have to be prepared, don't they? They've got to be prepared. If they're going off to war, if they don't function as a unit, if they don't have what they need, they will not be successful in their mission. Why in the world would we think that we do not need to be prepared? The Bible is the sword of the Spirit. It cuts away at falsehood. The Bible also teaches us some other tools which Jesus expects us to use, and they are as follows. Jesus expects us to pray. Further on in Ephesians in chapter 6, verses 17 and 18, Paul says, take the helmet of salvation, take the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, and do what? Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert, he says, with all perseverance, stay awake, making supplication for the saints, talking to God for each other. Are you praying for each other, you all? Number six, Jesus expects us to be in fellowship. Amen. Jesus expects us to be in fellowship with one another as his church. I want you to hear Ephesians 4, 12 to 16 again. I'm going to emphasize a few things. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until we all, amen, attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of God, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. Now listen to this very carefully. From whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which the body is equipped. That means we need each other. That means every single one of you in this room who professes and confesses that Jesus is your Savior, you need everybody else. There will never be a time when you can say out of your mouth and mean it before God, I'm not ever going to ask them to forgive me. Are you crazy? We'll stand before God Almighty one day. 
And the scripture says, if you don't forgive each other, he's not going to forgive us. God wants his people, amen, in fellowship with each other. Very important, you all. When each part is working properly, he makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And the last one, number seven, the last expectation, God expects you to keep the toolbox close at all times as you live for him throughout the world, in your home, on your job, and everywhere. Time is going away. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 12, I I won't read it. I want to read it, but I won't because I don't have the time. In Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 to 12, God speaks through Moses to his people before they go over into the land of promise. And he wants them to know what is absolutely crucial for them as they go over there and and as they live over there. God uses Moses to prepare the people of Israel before they go over into a land filled with people who do not love God. I love Deuteronomy chapter 6 because it is God equipping his people. They went over to conquer a land, and God said, don't forget about me. You are, we live on this side of the cross. Jesus is in heaven, but he's going to return. And it seems oftentimes that we, we live almost cowering in fear of what the world might do to us. You are the light of the world. The church exists to proclaim God's goodness, God's gospel to a lost and dying world. In conclusion, I give you two takeaways. You remember those? I've said it for the last two weeks. I'm going to say it again this week and next week. I give you two takeaways. Spend time with Jesus in his word. This week, evangelism is the overflow of spending time with Jesus. And number two, ask God to give you one for the gospel, one for the gospel, to be evangelized, to be established, and to be equipped. Let's pray together. Our Father and our God, we thank you for giving us the Savior. We thank you, Father, for allowing Church of the Atonement to be a church, to be a place where disciples are called, called out of darkness into your marvelous light. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have blessed this church to be able, Lord, to have families, to have missionaries, God, to have people who go to college, who go to seminary. God, we thank you that you are at work here. And we want to be a people, God, who evangelizes, who establishes others in the truth of Christ. And God, we want to be a people who is equipped. Then we, we might equip others as well. Bless us, Father, in your word we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.